very, very much. If you have your Bibles, please uh, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. You know, I'm sure most of us have heard of the expression or even done the act when somebody says, well, let's just flip for it. I got a quarter here and there's a deal. Maybe I owe you something or maybe we're going to we're going to see if uh, who's going to win. And so we flip for it. And, you know, there's a 50 50 percent chance I'm going to win 50 percent chance you're going to win. And flipping for it, or I think in Spanish, it's a vamos a hacer un volado. Well, what if, you know, I'll give you a scenario. I go to somebody, and this person owes me about, let's say, $25. So I go to the person, and I said, oh, so I came to pick up my $25, and he puts a $50 bill there. And he says, I tell you what, let's flip for it. And um, if I... Uh, if I get heads, then um, we call it even, and I don't owe you anything. But if you get tails, you get this fresh $50 bill. And I know gambling's wrong, and but, you know, I get, I see that $50 bill there, and I say, all right, let's go ahead and do it. And he flings that thing in the air, and it lands. Heads. And I go, you, I shouldn't have do that. I shouldn't have done that. I knew it. And I go away, and I'm bummed out, mad at myself, and he uh, doesn't owe me $25, and I go my way. And all of a sudden, I tell somebody, and, you know, I flipped it. I, I flipped that coin, that deal for with that guy, and he goes, you did what? I just, me some volado. He goes, Ernie, I can't believe you did that with that person. Why? Because... He's got a coin, a quarter, that's got two heads. I go, what? Put that thing up there. Put that picture up there, brother. He's got a coin that's got the heads on the front and the back. I mean, come on, man. And I get upset. Because I look at that and I think, you know, I was going into this thing thinking that I at least had a 50% chance of winning. I knew I shouldn't be gambling, but I thought 50% chance of winning. And what he did was trickery. I mean, that's, that's not saying the whole, that's not the complete coin. And that's deceptive. And I get upset. And you would be upset at that. You can take it off now, brother. You know, and that's similar to somebody who says, well, you told me the truth, but you find out later on that was just half of the truth. You know, somebody will say, well, I told you what was going on. And then later on, you find out the other side of the coin, the other side of the information was not told. That is a half truth. And I mention these two examples because right now, what I see more and more going on in Christianity is people are doing that with God. Where they are like that coin, where it's two sides, they're saying, hey, God is a God of love. He is a gracious God, a merciful God. And we all know that is true. He's a great God, a loving God. But they're not saying the other side of the coin, that he's also a God who judges because he is righteous and because he is holy and because he is just. And so they're only saying and preaching and wanting half of the truth. Now, why are people doing that? Well, the Bible warns us. It says, in the last days, that's how it's going to be. I'm going to read you real quickly. 2 Timothy 4.3, in the New Living Translation, it says, For a time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but they will follow their own desires, their own lusts, and will look for teachers and preachers who will tell them, whatever they want to hear, or their itching ears want to hear. And itching ears is, you know what? I just want you to tell me what I want you to tell me. I want you to be able to say, you're a good guy. And you know what? You've got a good heart. You know what? I'm going to come to church because I don't want to have this conviction. Don't talk about sin and hell. I want to be able to be 
lifted up. I want to be able to be, my self-esteem to be lifted up. I want to be entertained. I remember I had this boss. And this boss, he was a pretty bad guy. And um, I, would, I would invite him to church all the time. And I'll never forget one time he told me, Ernie, because he went, his wife and, and he went at times to this church that's real close to here, and a uh, big church, and, uh, <clears throat> and um, he says, um, Ernie, the reason that I go there, okay, is because I want to be entertained. I don't want to be convicted. And that right there is what I see happening more and more in Christianity. People want to be able to hear what they want to hear. You know, there's a, one of the largest or the largest church in America. The guy says, you can have God's best life now. And everything is about self-esteem. And I remember when I was in business and our corporation would spend about $75,000 to bring us all in and they would have a motivational speaker. And he was great. He pumped you up and it was rah, rah, rah. And it was, I mean, very, very good um, uh, self-esteem, build-up, sales-type teaching. But unfortunately, that's what I'm seeing now in many churches. And the reason is because people have appetite for that. There's another church that says, uh, here in El Paso, it says, God is on your side. And it's more than that. It says, God is on your side no matter what. And that's, and, but they don't complete it, but completing it no matter what you do. No matter how many times you do it, and no matter when you do it. In other words, it doesn't matter what you're doing, no matter, it doesn't matter how many times you're blowing it in sin, and it doesn't matter if you blow it and all of a sudden you die. God is on your side, and people just flock to that. There's another, uh, um, uh, very pervasive, uh, school of thought in Christianity now, which is called universalism. In other words, all of us go to heaven. It doesn't really matter if you're an atheist, if, you know, whatever types of religion you are. We're all, seven billion of us, seven billion of us God's children. And we're all going to go to heaven. That's only one side of the coin of God. That's only half of the truth. And the Bible warns in 2 Corinthians 11.4, he says, there's coming a time where somebody's going to talk about another Jesus and another gospel. And that's what's happening right before us. We are now being inundated because it's our nature. Let's be honest, guys. We have a fallen nature, and we would prefer to be stroked. Nobody likes to be jabbed. Nobody likes to be convicted. And so the devil is now using not just the world, but in the church now, only one side of the coin, only half of the truth. And I want us to turn to... Acts, because Paul the Apostle warned about this time. And he was a man that spoke by the Holy Spirit. And he didn't hold back. He said, this is love that you tell the whole truth. This is love that I prepare you for that day that's going to come in the future. Acts 20, 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. For I have not shunned, I have not stopped, I have not let anything hold me back from declaring to you through the Holy Spirit all, both sides, not just God is love, but God is also a judge. title of the sermon is God loves and he judges. You know, I want to first look at God is love because I love talking about God is love, because quite frankly, I need all of the forgiveness, all of the mercy that God gives. And I'm, I, I appreciate that God is love. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone, listen, who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In other words, what he's saying here is God is love. And if you claim and I claim that we have the Holy Spirit in us, then we shouldn't be the way we were in the past. We now should be transforming and people should start seeing 
a different side of us, a Jesus side of us. And Jesus, God, is love. Ah, but in the Old Testament, that may be the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, God was rough. In the Old Testament, God was, I read this real recently, God was a monster. A monster. In the New Testament, he changes character, and now God is love. But boy, in the Old Testament, boy, you know, it's good not to even read the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 6. For the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth. Old Testament. I think about how you have the days of Noah, the days of Son and Gomorrah. Abraham, God says, Abraham, I don't want to judge anybody. Abraham, if you're able to find people that love me and want to obey me and want to be able to live right and stop living like they were living in the past or like the world lives, then I won't bring judgment because I love and I'm merciful and I'm gracious. God, I wasn't able to find 50. What about if I find 40? If you're able to find 40... I won't do it. And it comes down to 30 and 20. Hey, God, don't be upset at me. But what if I can find 10 in these two large cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, Abraham, I'm gracious. I don't want to do that. And he couldn't find even 10. But God is a merciful God. He's not that monster that he's portrayed to be. And there's many stories I can give you in the Old Testament where God was a God of grace and mercy, where David, he murdered to try to hide his sin of adultery. And God could have destroyed him, killed him. And because he repented, because he said, God, I first sinned against you, even before Bathsheba and her parents and my nation, I've sinned against you, God. And God forgave him. And he went on to be a man after God's own heart. That right there is hope for us. And that right there shows us the love of God. I think about New Testament, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that, we will, in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, a lot of times what we do as humans, well, if he treats me good, then I'll treat him good. And we wait for people to do good things for us. And then we'll say, he's a good guy. Yeah, I like him. But Jesus died for you, for me, way before we were born. While we were not even uh, in our mom's womb, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died for us. We're born. We start sinning. God doesn't wait until we show that we're going to be a good guy. He died for us because he loves us. He showed us love by dying and paying the penalty for our sin. John 3:16, one of the favorite verses that everybody knows about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish in hell but have ever Lasting life. Let's leave that up there. For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't take away. Most of us, I love you, and you take away. And we take away. And we want. God is the opposite. God shows us love by giving, by sacrificing, by dying. That whoever believes, whoever, that means if you, like David, have murdered. Not too many of us here have murdered. And God says, if I've forgiven a murderer, don't you think I'll forgive you? No, you don't know. You don't know the things that I've done. I've done some terrible things. In the Bible, God is clear. He will forgive you no matter what you have done because he loves you. That whoever should believe on him shall not perish in hell. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Hell was made for the devil and his demons. Not for us. But we have to choose. What eternal destiny we want there or there, depending on how we accept Christ and follow him. I think about what Jesus did. Okay, brother, thank you. He was brutalized, tortured, punched, spit upon, 
pulled out his beard, hit 39 times where his back was opened up, bloodied, ligaments. Many died just from those 39 lashes. And then he's on the cross, and he endures all of that pain and the shame of being there naked in front of his mom and everybody else. And then he says, Father, forgive them. Wow. How many of us, when we're wronged, Charlie, I'm not going to forgive him. Right? How can I forgive him? How can I forgive her? But God shows us, shows us how much he loves us by forgiving, even at that level, where he is God. Listen, he could have just snapped his fingers, called up angels, and they would all be dead, pulverized. And yet he didn't do that because he loves us and wanted to pay the price for our sins. Now that is love. But it would not be right and fair to only talk about the love of God. Because God loves, yes, but he also is a judge. Why? Because God is love and he has to judge sin. See, real love requires judging wrongdoing. It requires justice to be exacted. It requires justice to be done. For instance, I'll give you an example. Okay? Hitler. Hitler kills six million Jews, many of them tortured before they were killed. Christians, many, over a million killed. People with disabilities, homosexuals, gypsies, many people were killed. These people who had disabilities, they couldn't serve Hitler, and so he killed them. He did medical experiments on them. What kind of a God would it be that he says, oh, you're cool, you can make it to heaven. How could God then look upon the family member of that person that Hitler did that to? That family member would say, how could you? If you really are a good God, how could you? When I tried to do the right thing, and this guy was a scoundrel, the worst, and he's here too? A child molester. Old man molesting a little boy, a little girl. He goes to heaven? If he doesn't repent? Where is justice? If our own justice made it to where a judge here in El Paso... The guy is found guilty. He was molesting your son, your daughter of five years old. And you say, you're going to go to court. And the judge says, no, I'm a loving person. I'm a forgiving person. You can go in and go. What would you say? See, love, true love, requires right things to be done, justice to be done. Somebody speeding through the school district, through a school zone, and they're speeding there. And they know they shouldn't. And they hit a little boy, a little girl. Then the police says, oh, that's all right. We're loving. We're caring. I mean, you think about all of the things that could happen. Somebody breaks into your house, breaks in. You know, last week I had somebody, I um, had got back from uh, Pastor Frank Luna's church. And I got back uh, that that, uh, late afternoon. And I was tired. I was sleepy. I was East Coast time. And all of a sudden, I heard pow, pow, pow. So I went outside. I looked around, and I didn't see anything. And I just went back to sleep. In the morning, it's still dark outside. And I go through um, the passenger side of my car. And my, my, my car's been there for, you know, about four or five days now. And um, so I, my wife probably used it because I open up the door, and I see glitter there on the seat. And I go, I wonder if my wife left glitter there because it was kind of dark. I couldn't see and I looked a little bit better, and it was a little bit better, and it wasn't glitter; it was glass. And somebody had smashed my driver's side window, and it was it was caved in, and it was it's it's tempered glass, so they, it, it it didn't totally shatter, but it was all cracked up, and the rear view mirror, I mean the side view mirror, was all messed up and cracked, and that mirror alone is about three hundred and fifty dollars in the glass, and you know, so I'm looking at that, you know, and I called the cops up, and they said, yeah, we've had a rash of this kind of stuff here. What would it be like if I called the cops and, yeah, we've had a rash, but it's cool, man. You know, we believe in being nice guys. What? 
See, that would be chaos. That would be lawlessness. And it's the same thing with God. What about parents? Why is it that if your kid is unruly or is doing wrong, you hold that kid accountable? You hold your son, your daughter accountable. You punish them. Why should we hold God for a different standard? Proverbs 13, 24 says, If you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. Wow. So God is saying, Mom, Dad, if you don't spank your child, if you don't, and I'm not talking about abuse, guys. God made us a little bit of heavier butt so we can be able to take that. But if you don't discipline your child, You don't love them because you're not preparing them for the future. Why is that? Because if you let them do whatever they want, it's going to be chaos. And they're going to grow up as rebellious kids. And they're going to grow up hating you probably and doing whatever they want to do. If you spank them, they'll get in line. And they will be respectable, honoring citizens if you love them. You know, Jesus. Everybody says, yeah, but Jesus is a loving God, Jesus is so good. And I think about how Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, John chapter 2, he walks into the temple, loving Jesus, and he sees these people selling and making all of these business deals in the temple. He gets some cords, wraps them up, makes them to a whip, and loving Jesus starts getting all these guys out. This house, my father's house, is a house of prayer. Get out. Loving Jesus because there's a right way and there's also a sinful way that has to be judged. Jesus said things that many people nowadays, hey, don't say those kind of things. I mean, that's offensive. And so now many preachers, they don't want to offend. Many Christians don't want to offend, don't want to judge. Jesus had said to the woman at the well, Hey, um, woman, bring me your husband. Um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, because he knows all things, he goes, yeah, what you said is true. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Now, that's pretty in your face. I mean, that's right there saying the truth. And yet people nowadays, they don't do that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, He tells the 12 disciples, go into all the cities and help them. Show them the truth. Tell them the truth. Tell them not only God's love, but also about sin, righteousness, judgment. Pray for them and that they would be healed. And then he says, if they don't respond to you, it will be worse for them on the day of judgment than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. Revelation 19.7 and 1 Peter 2.23 are clear. God's judgments, they're true and they're righteous. Listen, on the day of judgment, nobody's going to be able to say, man, that guy got a raw deal. Don't say anything, though. Nobody's going to be able to say that. Because on the day of judgment, when God judges every single person, and everybody, all of us are different, all of us are going to be able to say, yep, That was the right thing. You know, I've been a part of a trial and a judge. And I tell you, I look forward to judge Jesus. I look forward to his true justice, his righteousness, his holiness, his equitable and fair scales. Much of this world is not like that. Today, if you have money or you're high up in politics, you can get away with a lot of things. But that's not going to be the way it is in eternity. I want to speak now about the two coming judgments that each one of us, we, every single one of us, listen, every single one of us are going to have to stand before Almighty God. And the Bible says we will be judged. Now, there are two judgments that are coming. <clears throat> the first one, it's the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And there, it's uh, for Christians, for people who have given their lives to Christ. And then the second one is revelation about the great white throne judgment. Let me first talk about the judgment seat of Christ. First of all, 
2 Corinthians 5.10. Let's read that. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that were that will the things done while in the body whether good or bad okay good or bad in the greek okay that's fine brother greek what he's talking about there is he's talking to christians and he's saying whether of good motive or of not good motive in other words what he's talking about and also says the scripture in romans uh, chapter 14 10 through 12 um, where he says for we will all stand before god's judgment seat so then let each of, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what he's saying there is Paul the Apostle saying, each one of us Christians, once we've given our lives to Christ, we will never be judged for our sin. Once we've given our lives to Christ, the only judgment we have to face is when we stand before God, and it is the bema seat of Christ. That's in the Greek. And what it was is the judgment seat, 2 Corinthians 5.10, in the Greek, it came from like the Olympians. The Olympics back then, they had an elevated platform where the judge would stand. And when the athletes came to give them the reward, that was called the Bema seat. And they would say, here, you got this prize and that prize and that prize. It was not to punish. It was for those athletes that were going to be recognized. I thank God that there's coming a judgment seat of Christ, a bema seat of Christ, where it's going to be for reward. Now, what does it mean, good or bad? There's another scripture in the Bible that clarifies this, and I'll mention it right now. But what it is, is God is going to judge our motives. Why did you do what you did, Christian? For, inst- for instance, God says, when you give money, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Yet some people... Hey, I gave this person 200 bucks. Hey, I gave that person $200. Yeah, that person, I had to help him out. I gave him 200 bucks. Well, you have your reward here on earth. Because on, in, on the Bema Seat of Christ, in heaven, God is not going to reward you for that kind of a motive. When you are already going at this, and the Bible says do it in secret. Why do you do what you do? Look at this scripture here in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Let's stop there for right now, brother, what sort it is. So what he's saying here is, there's going to be some of our works that are going to go through the fire. It's gold. It's silver. It's precious stones. And there's going to be some that you did it for the wrong reason, Christian. And because of that, when it goes through the fire and it gets tested, like wood, like hay, like stubble, it's going to pulverize. But you are still in heaven. And you are still going to get your reward of your crown in heaven. In fact, James 1.12 is a good summary of what we think about the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to this. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God loves you. Do you love him? Are you holding on to him? You're going to get a crown. That, that elevated platform that God is at, that bema seat, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So the bema seat of Christ is something we can look forward to. The bema seat of Christ is not to judge our sins because the Bible clearly says he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. And as we've seen from Hubble Telescope, we still can't even measure how far that is from the east is from the west. And God did it on purpose to show us, I have forgotten your sin. I've thrown them to the deepest part of the ocean. Even with our, all our technology today, we still don't know many things that are at the deep part of the ocean. And God did it on purpose because he uses that as a metaphor to say, I forgive and, I, and I'm not going to bring up your sins. Thank God. And then you have the next judgment. 
And this judgment, none of us want to be a part of. This judgment is called the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Let's read through that. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. Let me stop right there. You may say, wait a minute here. Somebody who is in Hades, somebody who is already in hell, why do they have to be brought up again to be judged? Well, we already know about that kind of stuff. Say there is somebody who does something pretty bad, okay? They have to go to jail, and then they have to wait for their day in court. Then they meet the judge, and what does the judge say? You did this and this and this, and now you go to prison. That's what he's talking about here. These are people that were guilty, that didn't accept Christ. People that had an opportunity while they were alive to repent, and they didn't. And so therefore, they're in jail waiting for the white, great white throne judgment to stand before the judge. So then they can be told exactly what they did, and all the books are opened. And then it says, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into prison, into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, the final, this final judgment I'm talking about, it's for all unbelievers and backsliders from the time of Genesis till the time of the end, all the way through right before the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. So from the time of Genesis all the way till the very end, all those who die without Jesus, I don't need Jesus. I'm going to do it my own way. Or they turn back on God. The Bible says this is for them. All will be revealed, the Bible says. You know, God has the most complete books of anybody. God knows everything about us. Sometimes we think we can get away with things, but God records everything. He's got books. I'm sure he's got great video. He's got, he's got everything. Now, I'm scared about that because I know God doesn't forget. So what do I do? I fall on his mercy seat and I say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Wash me with your blood so I never have to go to this judgment. I just want to be a part of the Bema Seat of Christ. How about you? See, if you backslide, the Bible says that your name will be blotted out from the book of life. That means that if you've been saved, God has put your name in the book of life. And he has forgiven you of all your sins. But if you turn your back on God and you say, I don't need you anymore like many people are doing. Then God is not the one that's making that choice. You are. And the Bible says then that his covering and forgiveness of your sins is now gone. And like one of our presidential uh, nominees, all of a sudden people start coming up with information. And all of a sudden what you thought you bleached out and you thought you broke the the, the phones. All of a sudden, uh oh, the information is there again. That's what's going to happen to those who don't follow Jesus. That information is going to come back. What was deleted, what was purged, is now brought back. It talks about, and you can read it on your own, the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6. You ought to read that one. It says, I know your works, Christian. I know your works, Christian church. I know everything about you. And he says that to all seven churches. And then he says, you have a name that you are alive, and yet you're dead. And you're doing things that are wrong. You're sinning. And I know those things. And if you don't repent, I'm going to come like a thief in the night for you. It was supposed to be for the sinners, not for the Christians. The Christians should be aware of it. But because you're sinning, 
You're going to miss the rapture, and I'm going to blot out your name from the book of life. We want to avoid that. So what must we do in closing? One, stop playing games. This is serious. I know a lot of churches aren't talking about this. I know this is not popular in Christianity today, but it's the truth. You can't just have one side of the coin. You can't just have half-truths. The Bible, you've got to be able to read all of it, not just the parts that are for your itching or my itching ears. God is not mocked, the Bible says. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Whatever you do, it's going to come back on you. In other words, we will know you by your fruits. We can claim, I'm a Christian, but yet why are you? You, you say you're an apple tree, yet all I see is oranges. Why are you living that way? Someone told me when I went to uh, um, uh, the printers today and um, uh, trying to invite them to come to church. And the owner told me, you know, I have a friend. And this friend told me, I can live however I want to live. And at the very end of my life, I'm just going to repent. And then I'm going to make it to heaven. And I thought, how dangerous. Yes, God is so gracious that that thief on the cross, he cried out to God and God forgave him because God is a loving, merciful God. But the Bible says God is not mocked. I fear if someone is having that attitude that God's not going to give you an opportunity to repent at the end because you're mocking God. You understand what I'm saying? That's dangerous territory because you're playing with God. Hey, God, I can do whatever. And then after that, like, like genie, then you come out at the end. I'll say I'm sorry, and then you forgive me. All right, you got that? What must we do? We must embrace not only that God loves us, but that God is also righteous. He's holy, and so therefore he is a judge. Listen, it's a good thing to have a fear of God. It's a good thing. And too many people have no fear of God. They do things, and only if somebody else is watching, they'll stop. But what about God? And there is no fear of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. Read this. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't know about you, but that does something to me. You know, somebody like, oh, I'm tough. I, I mean, I got to tell you, when I'm on the freeway and I see a cop there, I, I slow down. I don't know about you. You may say, I'm tough now. Oh, I'm going to speed up. Bye. And you keep on going. But not me. You know, I don't have as much money as you or something. I don't know. But if we do that to the cop, why don't we do that to the judge? Why don't we slow down? Why don't we conserve? Why don't we live right? Why don't we realize, hey, the judge is watching. I better not do that. We must learn, therefore, to embrace the whole counsel of God. And how is that done? One, by seeking the word of God. In other words, coming to a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. I thank God for our fellowship. I thank God for Pastor Mitchell. I thank God for Pastor Stevens. I thank God that they are men that are not afraid to say, but if I preach this, we're going to lose some people. Some churches, they're big. They got lots of money. They got people who come in that have lots of money. And they don't want to preach the truth because they may lose that money. They may lose some people. And Paul the Apostle says, no way. I'm not going to do that. Our fellowship, no way. We're going to preach the whole counsel of God because if not, then God's going to hold us accountable on that day of judgment. And besides going 
to church and hearing the word of God, we have to study the truth for ourselves, study the word of God on our own. We have to be able to have that in our hearts and protect us. We have to hang around Christians that are like-minded, that will tell you the truth and not just what you want to hear. Listen, that's so important. I'm going to give you a scripture. Proverbs 27.6. Look at this. I'm almost done. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Keep it up there. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes when friends tell us the truth, God, we get wounded. It hurts. But it's faithful. It's good. But those who flatter us, kiss us, they're not your real friend. If they know that something is wrong and they don't tell you, then that's like an enemy. That's not like a friend. Judgment day is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? God is love. He is gracious. He is merciful. But he's also a judge. We've got to be ready. And the Bema Seat of Christ, that judgment, we want to be there. We don't want to be part of the great white throne judgment. Amen? I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed, please. There are two sides of God. God is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die a brutal death, to pay the penalty for your sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is hell. In other words, the price to be paid for our sin is hell. But because God doesn't want anybody to go there, and because he is a good God, a merciful God, a gracious God, he sent his son to pay the price for me and for you. All you have to do is accept that sacrifice and say, Jesus, I see that you are a loving God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And God, I accept that gift of love that gift of grace that I'm not deserving of. God, forgive me of my sins, Lord. I am unsaved. I am backslidden. I have blown it, God. And God, I don't want to be a part of the great white throne judgment, God. I want to be part of the Bema Seat of Christ, where it is for reward. I don't want to be thrown into the lake of fire. If that's you right now, and you will come to the realization. God is saying, let's reason together. He's trying right now, the Holy Spirit, to get you to understand that judgment is coming. If you're not ready, get ready now. If that's you right now, and you want God to forgive you, if you are unsaved, or you are backslidden, please, I beg you, get it right. If that's you, raise your hand to God. Say, God, that's me. God, forgive me. I see that hand there. Thank you for your honesty. God sees that. Who will join this honest person here? I know there's more people here. Who will join? I see that. Thank you for that honesty. Anybody else? Anybody else? God wants to forgive you. Judgment is coming. Get it right, unsaved person. Get it right, backslider. Please, I beg you right now, understand God is a loving God. But he also has to judge sin because he's righteous, because he's holy. Who will join these two honest people that God is going to forgive them of their sins and write their names in the book of life? Who else? Anybody else? Who will join these two people? Anybody else? All right. For those of you who raise your hand, come forward, please. Come on. Come forward, please. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else? I ask you, if there's anybody else here, you are living a life of half-truths. You are living a life of one side of the coin, and you're not, you're being deceitful. 
But you can't. You can fool me. You can fool Pastor. You can fool Pastor Glenn. You can fool Pastor Stevens. You can fool all of us. But you can't fool God. Please, if you are right now not right with God, He is the judge, and we don't know when judgment day is coming. It's time to prepare, because once you die, it's too late. And if you already are living right, the Bema Seat of Christ includes motives. Why do you do what you do? The Bema Seat of Christ will measure those motives. And we want to have acts and things that we do that are gold, that are silver, that are precious stones, because wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. Ah, you know what you may say? I just want to get to heaven. I don't care. If I don't have anything, as long as I get to heaven. Well, I understand that. But that's living on dangerous ground because you are just wanting to just do the minimum and skirt by. And yes, God's a gracious God. But the devil can use that easily to take you to the other side. Right now, I ask, think about what you're doing and that God is a good God, but he's also a judge. And he will judge every single one of us. When you stand before him and you see those marks on his, on his hands, how can you not do everything that you know you should be doing? We have to make a decision and say, God, I understand. You are the judge and I'm going to act like it. I'm going to open up the altar right now. Come talk to God. Make some commitments to your God, to your Lord, who is worthy of you to be faithful to him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.
But you are also a judge, a righteous, good judge, my God. And we thank you, my God. You are for your equity. You are fair, my God. Thank you, my God. You have paid the price for our sins, my God. Thank you, my God. You, Lord God, will never remember our sins again, Lord God. You've written our name in the book of life, Lord. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. You know, the Olympians, when they um, uh, are getting, when they know, hey, I have meddled. And I'm going to be going right now, and everybody's going to be watching. And then they're going to call me up. And from his elevated position, he's going to call me up, and he's going to put that on me. What an exciting time for the Olympian. How much more exciting for you and for me. The time is coming, guys, where we're going to be a part of the Bema Seed of Christ. And we don't have to worry about his judgment. As we are putting him first, living right, we don't have any fear. Because we're not a part of the great white throne judgment. Thank God. And we can go with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. God put me through the fire. And God... He's going to give you a crown of righteousness. It's an exciting time, guys, an exciting time. And it's also a time to be able to say, Lord, I want to do more for you. Amen? All right, guys, let's go ahead and close it off in prayer. Um, and I'm going to have um, our brother um, George Ranhead close us in prayer.